welcome to more to come pw comic world's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing usually recorded at the pw offices in new york city but uh, we're a little bit spread out today i'm calvin reed senior news editor of publishers weekly and co-editor of pw comics world check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics and I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the editor-in-chief of The Beat at www.comicsbeat.com. You can see us on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, New York Comic-Con 2017. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, we just published, uh, well, we're recording this on Thursday uh, evening, folks, but um, uh, Heidi and my uh, story went live today uh, online. Record number of attendees. Yeah, and and I, I will say this. I am working on... Uh, a little bit more personal report for the beat, which will probably go up first thing in the morning. So I don't want to spoil it too much. So I'll just talk about the title. It's called New York Comic Con 2017, The Quest for a Toilet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm laughing now because you know, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can get up and walk down the hall with, with an, and without a line and walk into a men's room. But uh, obviously, the ladies have their usual problems, but let me tell you, even the men had problems finding a bathroom. Yeah. In this, at well, this. When when you've got 200,000 other people trying to find one, too. Well, you know, I want to point out, yeah, yeah, the headline of our story is that they sold 200,000 tickets, which is a record. However, yes. that does not mean that necessarily that 200,000 people were all at the Javits Center at the same time. No, it just seemed like it. Right, it does, and <laughs> it, and it was a function of their uh, new ticket scheme. Yes. yes. You want to talk about that, Heidi? Oh well, I I I mean it's uh, they basically said you know San Diego's been doing this for a little bit too, but now instead of selling a four day badge where you buy one badge and you get in whenever you want, they only sell one day badges. So if you wanted to go all four days, if you got in on the lottery. You would um, buy Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now, a lot of people, you know, Thursday was not sold out until maybe just the, you know, hours before the show. I mean, they were still trying to sell Thursday tickets. So everybody went for Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Everybody went for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That said, Mm. I would say that Thursday was an insanely crowded day. Yes, I would too. I'm sort of astonished. That Friday was also an insanely crowded day. Um, But by contrast, I would say that Saturday was insanely crowded. (laughs) <laughs> and on Sunday, I think it was insanely crowded. I would actually say that Sunday might have been the most crowded day of all. Uh, Sunday was still crowded at five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, because I think a lot of the Saturday diehards were coming back Sunday, and so you know if they started dragging their tails toward the end of Saturday, they went home. But. Sunday was the last day. This is your, you know, whatever you want to do. This is your last chance. Well, I I noticed that, uh, you know, one thing that Mike Armstrong, who's the events director for North America and kind of the the showrunner now for New York Comic Con, is that he pointed out that if you bought a four-day pass, then you might go Thursday and do this. And then on Friday, you might go do, you know, go to um, the Gap. And... 
and then maybe on Saturday you'd come back. So you might not necessarily use your badge every day. However, yeah. if you only had, say, a Saturday or Friday badge, you were much more likely to use that sure. badge. So it's possible that people just felt more invested in coming on the days that they were able to attend. Because, um, I mean, it was way more crowded than last year. I'm sorry. It just was. Uh, without a, and I think also in staying all day, if you got one badge and this is your one shot to go, I think people are are just like spending a day there. Right. And I mean, another factor, that unavoidable factor, is that Artist Alley was moved to the show floor. Now, last year, I'm not, I think they used Hall E for presentations. I remember there was like some kind of virtual reality thing in there. So it was more Mm -hmm. of a wide open space. Um, uh, You also had a hallway that went to the North Hall, which is quite lengthy, so you had a lot of people in there at all times. And, of course, you had the North Hall itself, which is quite expansive, and and a lot of people. So there was literally more floor space for people to be on. And I think, you know, I think that also... um, I think that also contributed to the the feelings of overcrowded. Because I'll tell you, on Sunday in particular, I think by Sunday, everyone was just over it, you know? And I I just overheard, just as I walked around, maybe it was just because I was walking around more. I got to say, it might be also be my own solipsistic view of the con. (laughs) But as I walked around, I just heard people saying, like, I've got to go to the bathroom. I mean, (laughs) and... And I can't take it. This is too crowded. You know, I just heard people complaining about it constantly. Well, I saw the lines into the women's rooms, um, and they were uh, jaw-dropping. I mean, they always are. Um, so I don't know. But I don't doubt for a second that there were insane waits uh, just to, you know, do nature's business. Artist <laughs> um, um, Alley. Kate, did you have to well, wait? Yeah. Did I have to wait? Well, um, okay, so two things. One... Um, luckily I don't have to go that often to, um, I was strategic. I was strategic. Every time I had to go, I went all the way down to Artist Alley because I knew that I would spend less time just walking out Artist Alley and going than I would standing in line. Right. Uh, Okay. Well, I I know people, uh, left the show, uh, show floor. You know, I saw people out on the street who were like, yeah, I came out here to go. And, um, you know, yeah, and I shouldn't laugh. No, but I, I, I mean, it, it uh, you know, apparently they were trying to address problems as they cropped up. And I think they added some porta potties throughout the show in the middle of the mm-hmm. show. I did not see the porta potties myself, but, you know, I'd say for next year, you got to just get that loading dock and back open and just, you know, and just reading. put porta potties out yep, there. Porta, <laughs> yeah. porta City, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, this, it's, this continues to be a show that's enormously popular. It also continues to be a show that it's spreading out, um, beyond the Javits Center. It's certainly in our preview, uh, Armstrong said, um, we actually don't want people to think of New York Comic Con as simply, uh, what happens at the Javits Center. Right. And um, so uh, there were other events in other places. Obviously, they continued to use the Hammerstein Ballroom. Uh, I think they uh, continued to use the Garden. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the yes. Theater at the Garden. And uh, new venue this year, and a very impressive venue, New York Public Library's historic main building on yes, Fifth Avenue. Yes, indeed. 
Heidi, of course, um, did a keynote panel uh, on Thursday. I I wasn't able to get there, though. I did. I was able to get to some of the events over there. Yeah. Well, I kicked the day off, and um, which was, you know, I'm morning challenged, as you all know. So that was quite a (laughs) quite a feat for me. But um, I did get there. uh, A little bit of confusion as the first event, like how to enter the library, because the library is a very large building. So I yeah. built in some time to to circle it, and I did indeed end up circling back and forth a few times before I found where I was supposed to go in. But anyway, I made it in. Uh, I spoke. Uh, I was moderating a talk with Lori Hall Sanderson, the author of Speak, and Ngozi Ukazu, the author of Check Please. Uh, you know, two fantastically brilliant creators. So I didn't really need to do too much. You know, they basically just. You know, endlessly listenable, both of them. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. That that said, uh, when I got there, I saw a huge line out front, and I'm told that there are 400 to 500 people already lined up to get into the library. Uh, <laughs> when I arrived, I am not certain. In fact, I know that they did not expect that many people. Yeah. They yeah. had about four tracks of programming. I know the smaller rooms held only 50 people, yeah. which is which is you know definitely on the smaller end of the scale for panels uh and in the morning it just seemed to be very busy all day i I, calvin i i think well you were there kind of midday right yeah i didn't i wasn't able to get there um until a little later um because i was trying to help uh help kate get set up on the floor uh yeah you're very helpful thank you yeah well thank you (laughs) but uh i can't remember exactly what time i got there i think it must have been about 11 o'clock or so Something like that. But uh, I was there for the kids' graphic novel panel uh, that Bridget Alverson moderated um, and had uh, uh, Mark Siegel was on it, Jennifer Holm, Baby Mouse fame, um, who else? Uh, uh, Kim Dwinell, kind of a new artist, a top shelf is publishing. Um, uh, uh, Nidhi Chanani, who has this new uh, graphic novel about um, the Indian experience called Pashmina. So um, I'm, I'm leaving some people out too. But yeah, uh, I know Valiant a... had a panel. Boom had a panel. Yes, there was yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of panels for librarians. Yes, that talked. Um, I know yes. there was a panel that talked about uh, challenges. You know, confronting book challenges. Uh, Charles Brownstein, yes. the CBLDF, was there. So you there was know, a sex panel yes. as well. And there, so there really was a very broad ranging uh, lineup of talks and panels. And, and it, if I could just add, also, oh, even though I didn't get to see it, the um, the terrific librarian Amy Wright, um, who organized this, um, uh, she did tell me that they they even opened up. They had special tours of their special collections. Yes, um, they did. Where you could go in and see, you know, classic original pages of Mouse, um, other artists. So there were there really were some special stuff going on there uh if you got to those particular events yeah and uh i i would say that they expected you know they got way more people than they expected there was also cheese there was i mean they had food there all day which is sponsored by image which i did not realize yeah. and also i think inside editions i'm not sure but anyway they had like mm-hmm. like bagels in the morning then they had cheese i understand there was a cocktail reception when the whole thing ended like i would gladly have spent my whole day at the library <laughs> you know as except a, we had to do something else no we had to do other things but which we'll get to but um yes i you know i would say that they're talking uh, i interviewed amy very briefly she said they they might expand it to when
Wednesday evening where they start doing the programming. Um, you know, Amy is also involved, I believe, with the San Diego Public Library's day uh-huh. of programming, which now spans for all, I think, all three days, you know? Yeah, every day of, the, of, yeah, of Comic-Con. I think all, actually, all four days, yeah. Yeah, so, every day of Comic-Con, so, they have and, something and, going on. Yeah, and you know, TCAF has a, a kind of a small, intimate day before, so uh, this, I would say, arrived with a bang and uh, has established itself as uh, really a prestige stop on the graphic novel. You know, to be speaking at the, the Central Library, New York Public Library, I mean, one of the most famous buildings in yeah. New York is, is pretty darn cool. The mainstreaming of our beloved category continues. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. But but okay. but we couldn't be there, Calvin, and we couldn't be there because we had another symposium to attend. We had professional responsibilities at yes. the professional conference. Yes, <laughs> the trade conference, insider sessions. Insiders, are we insiders? Uh, yes, apparently, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, the the the, um, the 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 sort of mini half day conference that uh, ICV two um, the. Uh, uh, Popular Culture Trades Nude website run by a Milton Greep. Uh, they they organize a conference every day looking at you know trade issues, trends, market size, market developments. And this year um, was an interesting. I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, we were kind of overwhelmed with a uh, um, intricate mass of data. Yes. But, um, uh, but he delivered his white paper, which is a look at the size and trends in the marketplace for graphic novels and comics. Uh, and also the, uh, an interesting presentation by um, MP- BookScan executive uh, Kristen McLean, mm-hmm. who yes. really broke down uh, the uh, consumer, the growth of the consumer market uh, as, uh, for graphic novels where people are buying it, what their spending habits are. Uh, I'm actually writing another piece that will be in the print magazine on Monday about it as well. Well, I thought this was an incredible um, uh, breakdown. It had a lot of statistics. Some of it was from their own sampling, like they do um, sampling and uh, consumer uh, surveys. Uh, Some of it was Mm -hmm. from their own book scan numbers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I heard some people who work... For former comics publishers saying, but we already knew this. And it's like, well, that's great that you already knew this. You know what? We didn't. You know, you have <laughs> yeah. had access to all these book scan numbers. And, uh, you know, this is a nice snapshot for those of us who don't have the, the what is it, six figures it costs to get book scan, whatever it is. Uh, it's, a right. lot, it's a lot of money. So, uh, but very exciting is that books like this, uh, Katie. Uh, McLean is totally in the comic. I thought she was a really good speaker. And even though it came at the end of the day, following through two previous hours of numbers and charts and presentations, I was on the edge of my seat. You know, of course, I love that. I I mean, I I mean, I thought the thrust of her presentation and really in in many ways, uh, Milton's too, uh, besides going over the the facts and figures, uh, you know, is that, um, uh, you know, there's a kind of a, Format and, and ch- uh, channel retail channel um, contest going on between uh, the book channel and comic shops, and um, comic shops need to look really hard at what they emphasize, uh, how they sell, what they do, and the kind of customers that they're they're attracted. I mean, in some ways, these are things that we have been talking about on this podcast really for a couple of years. Yeah, as long um, as we've had this podcast. What is it, yes, five absolutely. years, six years, whatever it is. The popularity of the book, of graphic novels and mm-hmm. books, 
the influx of new kinds of fans, consumers, women, uh, the LGBTQ community, um, kids uh, looking for content uh, and service that sometimes is not available in the direct market. Yeah, and and I, I do think there's the, you know the numbers for comic shop sales right now are pretty you know they're soft they're like down ten percent for the year and both comics and graphic novels yeah. and Milton pointed this out but both Milton's presentation and Katie's presentation all the presentations really pointed out that outside the comic shops in the book channel sales are still okay I mean they're not growing by gigantic leaps and bounds but they're uh, they're growing. You know, yeah, and this is this channel is still showing growth. Um, books are still showing growth, um, and I, you know, I do forget who it is who was talking about things like Dav Pilkey's Dog Man. Now, this book is a kid's graphic novel. You know, mm-hmm. one thing that the book scan pre- presentation did do was, uh, I believe we have talked about it on this podcast before, but the coming of the BSAC code for kids' graphic novels. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have not seen that broken out in the numbers that Publishers Weekly runs because uh, they do run every year kind of some sales graphs by BSAC codes. But uh, but this did. And, you know, we've never had a chance to quantify the growth of kids' graphic novels, I think, yeah. you know, quite mm-hmm. in this clear a way. So they had a lot of numbers. And YA and kids' graphic novels are growing. They are uh, you know, I would say maybe last year they were surging, but this year, very strong sales, a lot yes. of growth, mm-hmm. a lot more product yep. coming. And it is the kind of perfect storm that you want to have. We have some really great creators. It's not just Reina. There's a lot of people creating oh, absolutely. very strong material. We have an audience that likes this material, and we have channels that seem to want to sell it. So that is, um, you know, go, go. You know, go, go, Power Rangers. One of the other things that uh, Kristen was talking about, um, which it was kind of embedded in what she was talking about, is she was looking for growth categories, what's really growing. And she talked about manga, and she broke manga down into categories, which, of course, we should, because all manga is not the same. And it's very interesting. And I also did another interview uh, later off, away from this event, uh, with Kevin Hamrick, who's the director of sales at Biz Media. <clears throat> and who talked quite a bit about how their their next move as they talk with the retailers is to is to differentiating more clearly uh, the subcategories of a category like manga, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not just magical schoolgirls and, you know, um, and yaoi. You no, know? I mean, there's a whole all. range of fantasy. I mean, that, that's I thought it was very interesting as she broke down manga into various ca- subcategories mm-hmm. and talked about it, how it's really driving growth and how consumers of manga are probably the most diverse category of Indian comics. Right. And, you know, she had a lot of statistics that are kind of common sense, you know, like manga readers have the lowest income and that uh, they also are the youngest. And, you know, so I mean, this all kind of goes hand in hand, and um, you know, I I I don't have it in front of me, which I thought I did for this podcast, but there was a handout uh, that talked about uh, the growth in women readers, 
which yes. obviously... Yes, I don't have it in front of me yeah. either. Yeah, now you know we've been talking about this forever and ever. Yes, and yes. So this will not come as any surprise. Actually, you know what? Somebody put it up online. I, I, you guys talk amongst yourselves yeah. while I look for Well, this. you know, I, I'll just m- mention very briefly, because there were other speakers at the presentation also. also. Um, Rob Salkowitz actually interviewed um, David Sternbacher uh, of Comixology. Uh, this is actually the 10th, uh, 10-year anniversary of Comixology. Uh, so they talked a little bit about the beginning of the company and uh, how they developed to where they are now. Uh, let's see. There was, um, oh, and also um, Jean Pesciuli. Yes. Uh, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Oh, yeah. He is the CEO of Glenna, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the major uh, French uh, graphic novel publishing house. And he's also president of the French Comics Association, a trade association. Uh, who, along with EuropeComics.com, were actually conducting panels and, and, um, and presentations and signings uh, for their authors at New York Comic Con. But he talked about the French graphic novel yeah. market at the and presentation. What was interesting about that is they are way more organized about sales stats. I mean, they, they are very open about them. You know, they, they do yeah. their own book scan. And, like, every time he mentioned a book, it would have, like, sales numbers underneath it. And some of them were... Astonishing sales numbers. Yeah, like, you know, there's this book that's XIII13, or Citristiem, uh, uh, French is terrible. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, the set is sold to like 5 million copies. Yeah, and that's, so, that's not unusual for no, best-selling graphic no, novels not at all. In, not at all. in France. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not unusual. They expect, I mean, 100,000 copies is a disappointment. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, um, they they're saying that one of the biggest uh, hits they've had recently is "Blue Is the Warmest Color" by Julie Moreau, and of course it's because it was tied into a movie, and they did have the number. I, I jotted down a lot of them in my yeah, and I don't notes. have the numbers in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I think it said something like um, I want to say a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, well, something like that. It wasn't like well, millions. Keep and millions. talking. I might be able to yeah. find it. Well, you know, I... uh, yes. Well, you rustle. You're rustling, but um. Uh, I found a little, there's a little press release that's making the rounds. Um, let's see. According, and I'll, I'll read you the headline that NPD Bookscan has put out. It says, Grab, Comics and Graphic Novels, one of the highest growth categories in publishing. Comics and Graphic Novel growth in the mainstream U.S. book market is being driven by a whole new population of readers, and who they are might surprise you. Well, it's not going to surprise us or listeners of this podcast, but women represent a growing cross-section of buyers, purchasing more than one out of every three comics and graphic novels sold over the past 12 uh-huh. months in the mainstream market 37 percent overall buyers in the 13 to 29 age group account for 57 percent of purchasing a graphic comics and graphic novels with 20 percent being women and 36 percent being men so there you go we were right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah we were yeah. right we were right yeah uh i do have a few figures here actually it's interesting the notes i have about uh, blue is the warmest color is that it's sold very copies. The once the movie came out, it eventually sold three hundred thousand. Oh, okay. Copies. There you go. Better memory. Yeah. See, I understood. So, and there's certain comics, uh, like French. You would call them French classics, like Corto Maltese, uh, a volume of. It's not unusual for a volume of Corto Maltese to sell two hundred thousand copies. Um, and then there are a million copy for first printings. I don't have it exactly, but. I have it next to like Tantan and Asterix. Oh and yeah, Smurfs. those have sold. Ta- Asterix yeah. has sold something like twenty million. I mean, yeah. the 
like the initial orders for a new volume of Asterisk are something like seven million copies. I mean, it's it's yeah. this is you know this truly is a book that everybody reads in France. You know, but here's what's interesting: um, is it just me, or do I recall from the last time you guys were talking about Angoulême that um, creators were saying that they didn't necessarily get paid so well? Well, that is true. And, you know, I'm going to jump forward a moment to uh, to talk about my own. Uh, my own panel was on Saturday, and it was uh, our annual panel, Publishers Weekly's panel, about European comics, where I get some European folk mm-hmm. to talk about their native. And uh, we do it uh, the last couple of years in conjunction with the French Comics Association. So for that reason, I was able to have um, Zepp, uh, a.k.a. Philippe, oh, yeah. Dupuis on there, who's one of the world's best known, or one of the French-speaking world's best known cartoonists, very famous. Uh-huh. He does the creator of Too Tough, who is mm-hmm. um, sold 8 million copies, or is it 15 million? Anyway, millions and millions and millions of copies in France. Uh, and also, uh, Fabien Nuri, who's the uh, writer of The Death of Stalin, which is coming as a motion picture, and Patricia Lifong, who is uh, the creator of The Scarlet Rose, which is coming from Paper Cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Mahmoud Azrar, um, a global cartoonist who works with the X-Men, and uh, Allison Sampson, the delightful Allison Sampson, who is an architect turned cartoonist. So, oh. uh, it, But anyway, there was some talk of this, actually, at other places while we were... Um, and, the, the, the you know, the, the, in, in the Franco-Belgian world, the... Um, message is as kate quite rightly recalled that there are too many graphic novels like there is a glut of graphic novels right now in franco-belgian publishing well my understanding correct me if i'm wrong is that it's such a hit driven market that if you got a hit you'll do well but there's so much material that there's a lots of very talented artists who don't make a lot of money yeah yeah absolutely and um you know, not, there's a lot of change. You know, Milton Grieb, the the main point of, of all the con was something that Milton said uh, during his presentation, which was that we are going through the fifth disruption. And we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard some things, nothing that is concrete enough to be talked about even on this podcast. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I would say that, um, you know, we're looking at the comic shop market, the direct sales market, really undergoing a gigantic shift and yeah. uh, we're going to see, I would say even in a year's time when we're talking on this podcast, we're going to have some a very different industry to talk about. We're going to see some yeah. attrition of stores and publishers. Could be. Could be. Uh, Milton was actually very, he was very candid and direct about that. Yeah. Um, he sees this happening within the next two years. Yeah. You <laughs> know, um, uh, and, and, and because of the book format in many cases, uh-huh. that it's, that this is the way to publish content. Um, we'll see. We well, will be here, ladies and gentlemen, to well, comment on it. Well, yeah, and you know, they, they basically he said something, and you know, Kate and I have have debated the the fate of the pamphlet here a couple times, but um, he said that uh, everyone knows what a book is, whereas the comics periodical is a fairly exotic format, you know, <laughs> and if it doesn't have good content. It's it's there's a lot of competition out there. Yeah. Kate, you have yeah. any thoughts about that? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that 
comics are wonderful and there are a lot of comics. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many dollars in your wallet. And well, so it's just a matter of, of trying to make sure that not only do people try to find their own audience, but audiences, you know, tr- sometimes have trouble finding the works that they would enjoy the most. Like, I admit, a lot. I bought um, three very interesting um, indie comics at New York Comic Con, not on my own impulse, but because a friend had recommended them to to me. And like in the vast sea of Drek, and some of it not Drek, but just not things I would be into. Like I, I guess I needed that filter, like. Right. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are many, many comics out there I would love if I came across them and looked at them. Right. But, I mean, discovery is a huge problem also. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, So, so, well, you know, Calvin and I have talked. Kate, tell us about your con. Let's hear what you did for the con. Yes, yes. I've sort of just been sitting back. For, for most <laughs> okay, of we're going to get you involved here. Come on. <laughs> well, no, because I didn't have anything to contribute to the part where I wasn't there. Um, but now we're to the part where I was there. So, um, as per usual, and as mentioned in, in the episode before New York Comic Con, I run our booth. And it is a labor of love, but also it's very exhausting. My apologies go out to Brandon, who didn't get to go because a badge got stolen. pro tip kids hide your badges deep inside your bags because if someone sees even a pinch of lanyard they may steal it out of your bag yeah but what Uh, did you do kate what 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 were you yeah but yeah i'm I'm getting there cal okay i'm getting there so i'm not really sure what to talk about listeners because i know that you know running a booth is not very interesting if you're not running one um i spent a lot of time doing that but i also ran around and i got some interviews as you can hear from listening to the podcast I, I was lucky enough to finally catch up with Marguerite Bennett. Um, I managed to interview Jill Thompson, although doing so required me to babysit her table for 20 minutes while she went to the bathroom. <laughs> yes, well, many are the... Pro quo well, I think that's cool. Many are the hidden pitfalls of this industry. Um, let's see. Um, I managed to snag an interview with Fabian Nisiza, uh and got scolded for sp- pronouncing his name wrong, and I probably did it again. Oh, well. Um, and pronouncing his name wrong. and uh, But under under circumstances, I had to interview him right then, that minute. He was like, now is the only time I can do it. And I was like, okay, we'll do it now. Yeah. Um, so you have to be ready. If, listeners, if you ever want to snag interviews, if you're ever in the journalism business, like have your recorder at the ready at all times because you never know when the moment will come. Yeah, I, I, you know, I apologize to listeners who were hoping that I would do some interviews, but um, I, I just lagged behind on them. And you know, I, I will say to, to Kate's point, to be honest, in the past, even you know, even at shows like TCAF or SPX, it was not that hard to kind of walk around and there'd be a lull in the action. You'd talk to someone and maybe you'd say, oh, you know, let's talk and half an hour or let's talk now and it wasn't that hard now everybody's schedule is just booked solid you know it's really so much harder to to catch people on the fly so you really do uh 
you know, and I actually, I, I mean, I, I, I don't do that anymore because I, I've realized that um, it just puts, you know, people just, they don't want to do things on the fly. They really want to be prepped for things, especially with all the scrutiny that everybody gets on well, social media and so on. Well, so what I, what I find works and what works for me, I, I don't know about you, Heidi, is I just put the option right out there. What I said to everyone is, hey, uh, when would it be good to talk? And if the answer is right now, then that is what I did. Right. And if the answer was two days from now, then that's when I did right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, either way, I'll go either way. It doesn't matter with me. Uh, and you can, and you got great interviews yeah. uh, also with Margaret Bennett. Yeah, you did uh, great. Right. You did I really well. Said, yeah. The bombshells, yeah. Um, yeah. As well as uh, what, what, the, the, the Squirrel Erica Girl. Erica Henderson from Squirrel yeah, Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you nailed Those, some really great, great, scored some real yeah. great talks there. So. Yeah, because Thursday I didn't get any interviews and I felt like, you know what? I'm falling down on the job. I'm just going to like hunt these down. I went through the artist alley list. I circled like a wish list of some people I hadn't talked to yet who I wanted to talk to. And I was like, I'm going to go after it. And I got my entire get list for which I'm grateful. Well, um, I-, I will say and also in my own defense, or as an excuse, actually, really, because you know, you you manned up, Kate, but or or you know, personed up, but um, I found at San Diego this year I had a grueling schedule of back to back to back to back things, yeah. and then this year I was just like not gonna do it. I limited myself strictly to two things a day, uh, possibly two things and a meal a day, because. It was just too, it was too grueling, you know. I spent a lot of time up in the press room where it was very cold, unlike the rest of the convention center. And the lines for the bathroom were maybe only 15 minutes, perhaps. So, um, you know, I, I paced myself. And I'm, I'm, I definitely recovered a lot better from it. You know, San Diego was like, you know, there was before San Diego 2017 and after San Diego 2017. Yeah, pacing yourself is important. Um, I Looking back, the one thing I regret this year is that I didn't, map out my schedule even more carefully than I did because I kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to take care of my professional obligations first and I'm not even going to worry about panels. I'll, I'll let them happen when they happen. Right. And that basically, that meant, that meant I had no panel. Um, and so like there were panels I really wanted to go to. There was a very interesting one that, well, it sounded very interesting. I'm sure it was uh, about, you know, mixing genres in the same work and like, how do you do that? And how can you pull it off in a fun way? Um, and that would have been really cool because they were, you know, talking about, you know, mixing, uh, science fiction and Gothic and mixing like, uh, monsters and humor and mixing like all, all kinds of different like tropes and genres into the same work. And like, how can you pull that off? And that would have been really interesting. And I didn't get into that one. And I really wanted to go to the one that had, um, the live reading of the latest installment of William Shakespeare's Star Wars. And <laughs> that panel, like, they clearly underestimated how much people wanted William Shakespeare's Star Wars. So they put in, like, their tiniest panel oh, room. For God's sake. And the line was, like, three times the size of what would fit into that room. Uh, so that'll, that'll hopefully get that enterprising author a larger panel room next year. Because, seriously, everyone wanted to go. It was a hot ticket. Um, you know, Voltron was not going to happen much as I wanted it because it was in the morning. Um, but there were a lot of, of interesting looking comic panels that were out there that were thankfully a little more specific this year than usual. There wasn't one that was just like women in comics. Like the, the one that I saw that 
the beginning of the title of the panel was Women in Comics. It was like celebrating a hundred years, and I was like, "Yes, we've always been here, damn it!" <laughs> uh, and I wish I could have seen that one. Or, um, well, you know, one of my writers, just to throw this in, one of my writers actually went to the panel and did a nice write up of it. So, oh, great. Uh, my writers oh, for the beat yeah. this year. Uh, really did an outstanding job of covering a lot of really good panels. Um, I know one of my writers, Andrea Ayers, has a really excellent write-up of the uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates and Jason Reynolds oh, panel great. as well, which as far as I know is the only oh, person who wrote yeah. So uh, I wanted to give her a little shout-out. But, um, but yeah. yeah I, spent, I spent so much time trying to get interviews that uh, I, I've come to I, – I miss a lot of panels, basically, the ones that I, I'd like to. I did have one panel – um, that turned out to really be fascinating. And I think the book that comes out of it is going to be uh, pretty interesting as well. And this is the uh, the Harvey Kurtzman panel, and it was basically um, sponsored by Comixology. And it was about a project to reconstruct a, an adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol um, from 60 pages of thumbnails and notes left by the Harvey Kurtzman, uh, uh, originally done in 1954. And it was an amazing job done by the cartoonist Gideon um, Kendall, uh, Josh O'Neill of Locust Moon, and Shannon Wheeler. And, I mean, this book is really kind of amazing. And the whole process to put it together uh, was was pretty amazing. Who's publishing that, Calvin? Comicsology Original. It's a digital Digital. uh, book. It's a 120-page graphic novel come out in November. Uh, And there's rumors that there are going to be – that there will be a print. Uh, edition also oh, it's interesting. gorgeous interesting. It's gorgeous well um i'll tell you i didn't i i got to go to my panel and there was one other panel that i was covering oh you know i almost went to um i i did go to the walking dead had a press conference and their panel was at madison square the theater at madison square garden where i've never been before and so I got to go to the Hall H of New York Comic Con, and um, you know, let me tell you, it's really nicer than Hall H because it's, you know, this awesome arena, really. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's it's huge, and there was a full house. I mean, they they definitely had a full house for this Walking Dead panel. It's, a, it's pretty impressive. I mean, what what I was going to get at is, I, I know before the show we were talking about how I thought that the the programming this year was really on point, really smart. And, you know, I was really happy. I mentioned this over many times to people, but I was really happy that they had moved things like beer off-site, you know, and mm-hmm. and some of the more silly things that they used to have for programming. Because let's face it, we're in New York friggin' city, and we have the smartest people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the sharpest entrepreneurs. So there, there really was some good programming. So I, in that way, it was really very choice, and I thought there were some really good panels. Uh, but it's still kind of um, it's still kind of a hellhole. I want to I want to throw I want to jump back with uh, to Kate uh, about our table because uh, we've been in that area before, haven't we? No. Never, never before. Okay. Nope. And it was a great area. It yeah, was I kind really of, I like very it too. good strategically. I like it too. A lot of traffic. Of course, there's a lot of traffic everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's easy to find and it's easy to get to instead yes. of just being in an anonymous row. We were in the small press area, which is between the two main halls. And so then that means, A, it's very easy to find because it's a very small area. 
And two, it's very easy to get into both main halls because you're right smack between the two of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the only problem with that location is the Funko booth was like oh, between God. us and the entrance. Yeah. And right. the Funko booth had such obnoxious lines around it. Um, but not only were these lines around it, but there were like all this line space inside the booth where people weren't standing. And so you just look at that and you try to get through and you'd be like, this is the worst. It was yeah. a mob scene. What is so the entire time. I normally don't care about Funko one way or the other, but like during the con, I would have like willingly put a curse on Funko for all time. So what did you guys think of the activations around the con? You know, they had, for instance, um, well, now I don't remember who had it, so it was a failure. But uh, there was a dragon. <laughs> you could get up on the dragon, and they would take uh, photos of you flying on the dragon. You know, you get a little I did video. not see that one. Yeah. How yeah. did you I, It I was did... a giant dragon, Kate. A giant dragon. And then there <laughs> it's was... Comic-Con. It I, says I, something about Comic-Con that you can miss a giant dragon and just the... be like, oh, well. <laughs> exactly. Did you see the chick Tick's giant boat? No, no I, really... saw the, I saw the um, thing where they had... Oh, no, I did see the giant boat. Um, I saw the... Frankly, w- the one of the two rooms of the Comic-Con, the one with the lower... the One of the two rooms of the show floor, the one with the lower numbers, mm. that one had so many activations, it was almost had, like, nothing else. Right. It was multiple um, activations, yeah. And But I will say, I do think that the the curation of the show or whether it was curation or whether it was brands that, you know, these were the only people that would pony up. I do think it was a lot more like San Diego in that all the brands had a little bit more of a, you know, connection. All of I mean, them except for Chevy. Chevy, what were you doing? Well, there? but Chevy they bought so much, so much floor space, and they didn't tie it in like at all. They just had some like lame jokes about sidekicks, and that was it. But to be fair, Chevy has been a sponsor of the show from jump, so they probably you know have grandfathered in. You know, Geico was there. I mean, it wasn't all, it wasn't all one hundred percent. But but I will say, I you know, I felt you you know Uniqlo was a big sponsor, which of course excites me because as you know, yeah. I, now that was sort of startling sense. to me. Because was, Uniqlo had a whole bunch of different comics-themed clothing yeah. for sale in their booth. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And, if and, they're selling geek-themed clothes, they want to sell them to geeks. I was like, oh, okay, makes and sense. And they have some awesome uh, pop culture-themed lines, you know, T-shirts. I have so many of them I'm not allowed to buy anymore. But, uh, you know, they've done Tezuka in the past. They have One Piece. They were selling One Piece T-shirts there. Uh, you know, some other... Like really well-known manga, they've had Naruto as well, um, and uh, you know, to me, e- e- that's a pretty good partnership because they they do have these these really fat great brands, and I mean, well, I couldn't I get near the booth, so I assume yeah, they I, did I do okay. like Uniqlo, but I, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to buy there. But yes, they did. I was impressed to see them there uh, yeah. with a full layout of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Uniqlo in Soho has a little book room, and they have like. Uh, yes, you know, and, and you know who's made, you know who they're partnering with to, to support it, Kunikania. Right. Of course. Wait, wait, wait. What? But let's back up, back up. So yeah. Uniqlo in Soho has a little book room with what in it, guys? It has manga. They sell books. Yeah, they sell <laughs> they books. Sell and books. they have a little. It's not. I mean, it really is like you know. Here's a volume of Naruto. Here's a volume yeah, of. It's very curated. It's, it's very. It's, small. it's like ten books. I mean, it's a very small little like corner of the store. But, but it's but, cool. But it's it's cool. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so uh, well, you know what? I I I think we've there's always a lot more to talk about. But what do you guys? I, I you know I think 
just to, whenever you talk about New York Comic Con, so what what I was trying to get at when I, before was that I do think in content it was a big step forward, but I have to say in logistics kind of a step back and it not anybody's fault it's just it is what it is and the javits is just you know can we do like a cuckoo or something it's a shithole well you know? okay <laughs> i i feel like i feel like i have some things to say about the con experience along your lines one is that yes i understand why they you know had a hall devoted to autographs and a hall devoted to lines but quite frankly, there was a lot of wasted space, at least in the autograph hall, probably in the line hall. Mm-hmm. You could have put more stuff in those rooms and, and like, decrowded stuff. I mean, it, the, that floor space was going to waste. And then meanwhile, you, you get, like, I had people, somebody came to me at the booth the first day and was just like, I don't know where to sit. Like, I need to sit <laughs> down. I'm in pain. And I was like, you need to go down to the food court. But, like, you know, like, they, they could have made better use of some of their space well, they on the did, ground floor. They did. And let me tell you, if you happen to be in the main exhibit floor, on the main floor, like, I got a phone call, like, while I was in the middle of the floor, and I was like, I need to go sit down and talk to this. So I wandered entirely around the edge of the floor looking for any place to sit down. It was non-existent. The only place, the first place I found was actually terrible. It was the escalator going down, and people were sitting at the by the wall against the escalator and you know now uh, I, I'm so shocked that the fire marshal allowed this but I sat down for two minutes there because I was just like wow can I do this I can this is so <laughs> dangerous um, you know there was people sitting on the stairs like not one person wide like three people sitting as- aside like this was not safe this is just not safe I want to say security as we wrote in our article, was really heightened. They oh, had yes. metal detectors. Yeah, and, and there was, you know what, I will say, the first morning I went, when I got there the earliest, there was a bit of a line to get in. And then every other morning, because I went into the green entrance, which is for pros and, you know, speaker badges. And, you know, it's kind of like special entrance. But still, you know, hundreds of people going in there. And and the line was never long. It was never very long. And, um, you know, they had invested in quite a few... Of the metal detectors. Yeah, they processed everyone through pretty quickly. Yes, they did. But that said, once you were inside, and I mean, you know, we look, I mean, I say it seems more crowded. I mean, every year we look at these photos, and every year it looks appalling. So it just could have just been, you know. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I mean, Javits has certain limitations, and the limitations are even more pronounced when you have these many people coming in there. Uh, You know, I have to say, as crowded as the thing was, you know, everything was moving for the most part. Um, we didn't see a like a total gridlock as we yeah. had what four or five years ago. That's that true. Yeah, it, it That's could true. have completely been worse. frightening with fewer people in there. Uh, so um, they they're doing something right, um, and also the, the clearly the fire marshals let them keep doing this. Well, it, even yeah. so, they, they keep traffic moving. I'm telling you, as far as the fans are concerned, people seem deliriously happy. They did. Well, uh, yeah, but that doesn't mean everything is perfect with the security No, but I the, think Heidi no, was getting agree, a point. But, I agree, but uh, but in, in terms of whether the show is a success or not, if the fans are enjoying themselves, uh, it's hard to understand. I mean, they're not enjoying themselves when they're standing in the line to, to, to go to the bathroom. Yeah. That is for well, sure. I heard well, not, no one's saying the show's not a success. It's just that it doesn't mean there can't be improved in certain ways. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, also, you know, as, as the adult in the room, you have to say, you know what? You can't have people sitting on the stairs. You know, I mean, you just can't yeah, yeah. have this. And, well, and, the prob- well, wait, let me, can I, let me, let me. Yeah, just go ahead. Yeah, let her finish. Because yeah, I was go going ahead. to say, 
uh, I heard people complaining that the escalator to Artist Alley was turned off. Why is this turned off? It was turned off for safety, you know, because you can't have people like spilling into this area. Then you get a gridlock and then it becomes very dangerous. The same thing was happening on the fourth floor where there was a sci-fi lounge. And they were giving, and, and you know, you had to go through this to get to the press lounge, and the escalator was turned off going into that. This is the same thing. You have a very limited space, and you just can't have this, you know, you have to turn things off so that the crowd is more self-regulating. So, you know, there's a lot. Listen, I mean, you know this, Calvin and Kate. I mean, there is a lot of attention paid to all these logistics at shows. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. And well, my, my, go, go ahead, ahead, Kate. Well, there was some logistics that I felt was not paid enough attention to. I mean, this year they half-heartedly put a sign up. I was glad for the sign, and it did pretty much exactly nothing. <laughs> once again, once again, we get doofuses doing cosplay uh, photo shoots literally in the middle of the entrance to the show floor. Literally in the middle of the entrance to the show floor yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they need one security guard stationed by the entrance of the show floor to make sure for safety purposes that that traffic flows. Well, I'm Because gonna... all it would have needed is someone, because they had signs saying don't do that, all it would have taken is one guy to say, hey, to be social, the security guard to be, hey, um, take it to the side. Well, That's I wanna, all it would have taken. I want to jump in here, and I'm going to throw in a radical suggestion, okay? Because yeah, I, I, everyone I spoke to on my, like, you know, like, check in and see what they thought of the show list said the same thing what are you going to do it's the javits there's just nothing you can do with this shitty building and said those so however i did ask you know we haven't even talked about the harveys maybe we'll talk about that some other oh, time yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but um but you know i was talking to some of the read pop people who were there and i was like did you consider putting artist alley in a separate area because there are all these hotels and other buildings going up and i you know it's going to be 2021 at the soonest that we have the new area for the Javits. However, in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of buildings going up around there. You know, some of them are open already. And I could definitely see a time where if there was a hotel next door, just like in San Diego, they moved things over to the hotel. And now when I asked this of a Reed Pop person, the feeling was, you know, that was suggested, but we said absolutely not. Uh, it would lose traffic if it was not in the building. And you know what I'm going to say? I think that you would still get traffic. I really do. I well, think... I Go on. No, I, I, I just think that that they've successfully made New York Comic Con a brand that is, you know, and covers a lot of territory. And I think if you were to move uh, artists, or, or maybe autographing, if you were to move, you know, Mark autographing, Hamill autographs to a, to a hotel next door, I, I think the people would go. But what do you guys yeah. think? I, I think that moving autographs would be a good move. I think Artist Alley... Like, there are a lot of people there. Like, you want the artists, the creators to be supported, not just the publishers yes. and the branders. And a lot of the power of Artist Alley is if the crowd, if it gets too crowded on the show floor, then people go, oh, I'll go to Artist Alley. And then they go there and then they spend money. Because sure. I heard that a lot. Yeah, like, that's true. Like, you know, and also this year had the advantage of being near the panel rooms. Like, I feel like keeping Artist Alley in-house is a good idea, but the autographing, the photo shoots, those absolutely could move to another place. Um, because I, people will people come specifically for those and care a lot about those, and those are not impulses. No. And those people plan ahead. So I think moving that to a nearby location would be just fine. Well, I, I think that if... I, I think that if there's a nearby location that's very nice, um, it's probably a good idea, though. 
certainly at least one, maybe two of the artists that we um, uh, talked to in our pre-New York Comic Con feature talked specifically about their desire or preference easily get go back and forth between yes. artist alley no, and that's the very 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 yeah. important i guess what i'm saying <clears throat> is i mean i'm looking at the map right now i called it up on my computer and uh i will say um i you know cal torsten adair uh a friend of of this podcast uh you know we're always looking at square footage and stuff of different convention centers you know the javits center believe it or not their actual square footage is not it's it's not that far off from the San Diego Convention Center, which seems crazy, um, but its footprint is so much smaller. I mean, it's literally. I thought San Diego was bigger. Yeah. Well, it no, is but bigger, no. but it's not bigger mm-hmm. by as much as you by think much. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you look, you know, the the San Diego Convention Center is um, much longer. I mean, it's almost like um, a half mile from one side to the other. Okay. Uh, whereas at, at the, you know, Javits, it's four blocks, which is mm-hmm. a quarter of a mile. So, you know, obviously getting through the crowds takes just as long. But I'm I'm just saying, it's like, uh, you know, in the in the metric of how far people will walk, you're going to spread out. This thing is going to spread out because it's got to, you know. This has yeah. become an enormous event. And I do, I do want to shout out just, you know, as my final... My final takeaway from the show is like I, I felt the programming, the list of guests, um, you know, the, the the stuff at the Hudson Mercantile, the authors. I felt this was really top notch stuff, and and uh, you know, the New York Public Library. I think with all the additions, I think the show is just going to get better and better as far as oh, content yeah. goes. Yeah, uh, and I thought con- it was. Go sorry, on, Kevin, go on, Kate. Okay, no, go ahead. Um, I thought it was actually a good sign. Uh, sorry, media properties. A good sign that, like, the Stargate activation and the Star Trek activation and most of the activations that had nothing to do with comics really were kind of deserted. Like, you could get your picture taken in the captain's chair, like, three times in a row in 20 minutes. Wow. Like, I mean, because I saw that happen. Um, you know, it, it's... It, people were not, like, going like ooh Chevy like it, it was fairly <laughs> it was fairly comics focused or comics adjacent focused mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. it it really it, it didn't feel unfocused this year it felt like it was very on brand in a way that worked for people um, I still think they should have the security equivalent of traffic cops to break up some of the real snarl points I think yes. just having someone to like get people to move along or, or deal with some of the little crises as they come up would have helped a lot. But beyond that, you know, I think, I think it's going in a good direction. Although we certainly do miss that extra haul. I think having oh, that yeah. extra haul of the Javits when it finally comes back will be a blessing. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, it's going to be years, so we got to, well, make yeah, but, but that doesn't mean we won't be glad to have it when it comes. Absolutely. Um, you know, we haven't even touched on the news, and there was a lot of news at the show, but, um, you know, uh, Calvin and I have a nice little um, kind of recap of the major stories, I mean, with Marvel and DC and, uh, in our story, which is at PW Comics World, or, uh, excuse me, publishersweekly.com <laughs> slash comics. Uh, so I would say check it out there. And you know what? Next time, you guys, when we do our next podcast, I'm sure there will be new developments in these, and, and we can kind of go over it. Okay, and so until next time, there will be more to come.
Okay, so now that we're done recording, could you give me a quick, um, precise about what you meant by, you know, Marvel? Marvel.